Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this episode, Sean Langdon and Erica Enders join us to talk about their U.S. Nationals victories. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. It's all indie all the time on this episode of The Insider. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace. Let's talk Big Go. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hey, everybody, it's Brian Loans, your host here in the NHRA Insider Podcast. Great to have you on for this post-indie show, making this show just a couple days after we concluded the U.S. Nationals. Everybody has disbanded and gone home and towed their stuff home or flown back to where they come from. It is, uh, or it was, I should say, a really, really great event. We were all kind of interested to see what the U.S. Nationals would feel like in this 2020 season, what it would feel like with the schedule being different, starting on Thursday and ending on Sunday instead of Wednesday to Monday. Um, it turns out it felt exactly the same as it always has in, in the best of ways. Very intense, very long days and nights. Uh, racing from sun up quite literally uh, on Thursday morning. Every day they had cars on the racetrack at 7 a.m. Um, and pretty much every night was 2, 10, or 11 p.m. And that was because there was close to 900 cars there. You had your normal eliminators along with the Jags All-Stars, along with the Dodge Hemi Challenge, along with basically every single potential category that could be run at a national event. So um, it had all those great hallmarks that every U.S. Nationals has had, including incredibly enthusiastic fans. We were limited to a 50% capacity at the facility, but uh, Sunday I am virtually certain that we hit that. If you watch the coverage on Sunday, which I'm going to get into here in a couple of minutes, um, you know that Midway was rocking. Grandstands were looking good. People were doing the social distancing thing. They were wearing their masks. There was Santa Cor hand sanitizer everywhere. And it really was a nice culmination to have this fourth event at Lucas Oil Raceway, Indianapolis. Um, nobody planned on having four events this year, certainly not in the way we had them. We had only planned on having the one event, which is the one we just had. And um, it really, really was a cool thing. And in many ways, it re-energized a lot of people. Um, I think that the first three indie races were a lot about i don't want to say survival that sounds overly dramatic but they were a lot about making sure that nhra drag racing did its best to stay the course did its best to maintain a presence that it has in the american motorsports landscape and this last one was about blowing the doors off the place and and having that feeling of being in the right place at the right time when we're always supposed to be there at least since Wally designed and drew it up in 55 on Labor Day weekend. That's just kind of the way the nature of the business goes in drag racing. And um, it was really spectacular um, on every front. And we had four great professional champions, Scotty Polachek getting his first win in Pro Stock Motorcycle. We'll catch up with Scotty in the coming weeks here in the podcast. Erica Enders overcoming the demons of 2019, where she lost in heartbreaking fashion to Alex Laughlin. Ironically, the tables were 180 degrees turned out on that this year. Then we can go down to the Nitro Funny Car category. We can talk about Jack Beckman and J.R. Todd. And, you know, Jack uh, in the final round, double bulb J.R. Says he didn't do it on purpose, but it was a moment. It was going to be a great race, and it took it up to another notch when we saw that that whole situation happen. And then in Top Fuel, you get Sean Langdon taking a, a U.S. Nationals victory, tuned by Connie Coletta and Kurt Elliott. Um, two years in a row now, Coletta Motorsports has won Top Fuel at the U.S. Nationals. Sean's second time winning. We're going to talk to him on the podcast today and really get into some of the interesting things that happened over the course of the weekend. The guy's a number one qualifier. 
gets into probably the best and zaniest top fuel pedal fest in a half a decade against Justin Ashley and wins. Of course, speaking of Justin Ashley, on Saturday night, we had the delayed final rounds from the Lucas Oil Summer Nationals. We saw Chad Green win in Pro Modified. We saw Matt Hagen win the 350th event for Don Schumacher Racing against Jack Beckman. And then we saw in Top Fuel the highly anticipated match between TJ Zizzo and Justin Ashley. And in this case, it was Justin Ashley winning his first ever Top Fuel event. Those were the professional milestones. Now, if we get into the other milestones, you have Bob Malloy making the quickest pass in the history of uh, Mickey Thompson, Top Fuel Harley Davidson, resetting the world record at 6.09. You have Megan Meyer resetting multiple times the alcohol dragster record at 5.09, which was insanity. And we actually got to show live her 5.09 second run, uh, 0.90 run live on Fox Network Television which we don't normally get the chance to do that, nor do we normally get the chance to show Competition Eliminator live on network broadcast television either. And again, I'm going to get to that here in just a moment. But at the end of the day, the U.S. Nationals did what the U.S. Nationals always does. It brings together the best of the best of the best from around the country. And every national event may be called a national event. Why? They're all named after that first one, the Nationals. So when we talk about a national event being big, they, they all are. When we go to Gainesville, going to be four, four, five, six hundred cars. Lots of categories, lots of classes. But it's not the U.S. Nationals. We're going to see mostly racers from the eastern part of the United States. We're going to see mostly racers from east of the Mississippi. Whereas when we watch the U.S. Nationals, we see a racer from Maryland racing someone from Oregon or someone from Berlin, New Jersey racing someone from Washington State. Or You know, it's It's amazing. And that was very much present and in the forefront of everyone's minds as well. Totally, totally cool. So to go into the television stuff and the television side of things on Sunday, uh, it was a very memorable day. And actually, I plan on making an episode in the coming weeks that is going to simply tell the inside story of what happened on Sunday because um, professionally and, and personally for all of us, it was a day that none of us will probably ever forget. But our broadcast schedule was very robust anyway. We had two qualifying shows on Saturday. We had a live show, which I had a lot of fun with Tony Pedragon in that show. Then we had a tape show that was on after the baseball game, uh, which was also a really fun show to make. On Sunday, we were geared up to go 11 to 1, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern live on FS1. Then we're going to transfer over to the big uh, Fox Broadcast Network from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. So already, I mean, that's five hours of five hours of basically live television, which, um, again, this isn't, you know, being a lumberjack or breaking rocks in the sun, but it is a lot of effort and it's a lot of hard work. And when you're on live, especially on network television, you really have to be um, keyed up and on top of everything that's going on. And that's, I'm not simply talking about what us schmoes in the booth have to do, but the actual people with the talent that make the show. They're the ones that are, that are sweating bullets and working hard and pulling tape and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So then we all know what happened if you watch the race. Uh, 11 to 1 show was great. We had a ton of fun. Everybody was like, everybody was in tune. Everybody's on the chip. We're just knocking it out. And it set this tone that, man, when we get on the network, this is going to be so awesome. Like, it's going to be really fun. Everybody just kind of got off on the right foot in the morning and, and it was really clicking. So then 1 p.m. comes around and we had two massive ProMod crashes. Uh, though you've probably seen the video. Thankfully, Chris Thorne and Steve Matuzic walked away, but it took what was going to be a fairly smooth transition onto the network and made it into something very different than that because 
We had planned on having round two of Top Fuel live and then taking it through to the finish. But the problem was when we had those two crashes, we now get to our air window. And what are we going to show? The safety safari scooping up a race car again? Couldn't do it. So we went into some highlights packages. We went into some of the qualifying information. We set the ladders. And then it started to rain. And when it started to rain, it was heartbreaking for everybody. You could feel the energy um, of everybody on the production crew just going, oh, no. Because you're thinking, well, one, how does this play out? How does this end now? I know they say it's going to start raining in an hour, but is it? How long is it going to take to dry the track? Long story short, we keep filling. We stayed live on the network. We kept filling with different things, interviews in the pits, highlights, packages, different things. We went over the Jags All-Stars, which was actually cool to give the Jags All-Stars winners some very um, well-earned due on national television. And so then it was determined that the track was going to dry, that Fox was going to stay with us, so we go back to racing. Now we're supposed to go off the air at 4 p.m. And... That became a rather depressing fact because we weren't going to be done by 4 p.m. And we were going to take the audience so far along down this road of a race and they weren't going to be able to see the end of it. So then some back channel negotiating negotiating happened. They said, okay, we're going to give you another hour. So that got us to 5 p.m. Now, when we're looking at 5 p.m., we had some oil on the racetrack, slowed things down. We're running the semifinals basically at 5 p.m. And again, that sadness kind of sick pit of your stomach feeling hits in the sense of well we're never going to make it to six so we're never, never going to finish this by six if we're running the finals at 510 or semifinals at like 510 we're never going to be able to get everybody back on this racetrack and have them run by the time we go off the air at six and we were told basically you don't even have until 601 so or i'm sorry you didn't yeah you didn't have until six so it was like oh so now we're going to right back in the same spot they gave us the time until five then they graciously gave us the time until six and then we were still going to run out of room and then the negotiations kicked up again and they kept us on the air again so we were on the air until about 6 30 give or take i think when we finally went off the air um, we were able to show the alcohol funny car and alcohol dragster semifinal rounds we were able to show a, a full round of competition eliminator live on network broadcast television which has never happened which is incredible exposure for them we showed all the pro mod runs i mean we were we were hustling and it was amazing and so of this year of 2020 that's been crazy and backwards and upside down um that moment that sunday if you're a real hardcore nhra fan you got more nhra television in one day um than you've ever gotten in your life in terms of being on a huge network starting on fs1 which is big and then going on the huge network for um you know the better part of six hours it was unbelievable and it was a total adrenaline rush and then when it was over all of us uh, deflated like balloons <laughs> but it was really really fun we hope you or i certainly hope you enjoyed the show and i i stay on behalf of everybody involved i hope you enjoyed it because a lot of hard work went into making that happen and to make it happen at the quality level that it did um was awesome so that's that. We have two guests on this show, Sean Langdon and Erica Enders. We're going to get going with my conversations with them next, but I wanted to shed some light on the TV show on Sunday, how it happened, why it happened, and we're going to go in-depth with that on its in its own version of the NHRA Insider in the coming weeks because everybody on that production kind of has their own angle and their own backstory to tell about how it all came together. So sit back, relax, and listen to a couple of champions from Indy tell their stories of success. All right, we are joined first by top fuel winner of the 2020 Denzo Sparkplugs U.S. National, Sean Langdon. How you doing, man? Doing great. 
So you are at home in the shop working on your bracket cars, man. You're getting ready to get back into it already. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, I had a couple buddies come in last weekend, and uh, they run a super comp with uh, with my two dragsters, Kevin Kleinweber from Huge Performance, and then uh, buddy Ryan Mangus, who I grew up uh, racing junior dragsters with in California. And so I had to convert everything over from bracket mode to super comp mode, change some carburetors and throttle stops and stuff like that. And then now uh, next weekend – there's a hundred grand to win race uh, uh, down in Ohio Valley that uh, Tyler Bohannon and Brian Whitworth are putting on. So uh, I got a, a new little driver that uh, he's been running with me the last couple bracket races. Gary Pritchett, I'm sure some people know who that is. Yeah, so man, that's awesome. He, yeah, so he's uh, he's done fairly well. Uh, we've we, it's been pretty cool uh, to kind of see his progression. He has a bracket race in. in uh, 10 plus years. So, um, he'd been going with me, uh, the last couple times and, and running my white car and I run the yellow car and, um, he's, he's been doing good. So, so, uh, yeah, we're just converting everything back over to uh, bracket mode and, uh, change some converters and carburetors and taking throttle stops off and all that stuff. And, and, uh, getting ready for this weekend for, uh, they got a hundred grand to win. So we're excited. And uh, before we get into your weekend, you talk about Super Comp. How about Troy Williams Jr.? I mean, this guy, it, it's its an amazing thing. Obviously, he continues to have an incredible career, but he's racked them up. He won a bunch of money up in Michigan. He comes down wins the U.S. Nationals. I mean, it's, uh, it's a very impressive thing to watch what he's doing just this year alone. Yeah, it's very impressive, uh, but it really doesn't surprise me in the least. No. Uh, Troy's, <laughs> Troy's about as elite as it gets. Um, I mean, he's hes proved that for, um, you know, last uh, – 20 plus years um i mean he's you know won the million dollar race i mean he's won at, at the highest level on the on the bracket racing side um you know i go back uh when i was running super comp back in 07 08 him and i were were battling it out for the for the championship in, in super comp back then um i mean he's he's an incredible driver uh very very good very disciplined um knows how to hit the tree knows how to drive the the, the finish line um, so, I mean, yeah, huge congrats to him for last weekend, but uh, I'm not the least bit surprised. No, it's just uh, it's the, the sustained level of of um, success that the guys had is is just it's it's astonishing to watch, and it really does speak to uh, how good he is at what he does in whatever environment he's doing it in. So, speaking of guys that are good at stuff and doing stuff, uh, you're pretty good at top field dragster, man. We got to see we got to see pretty much every side of that over the course of four rounds on Sunday. What a day! Yeah, uh, I mean, what an incredible day! Uh, you know, just an incredible weekend, really. Um, you know, we we started out the year and had a really good car in testing. Um, go out on the first day in Pomona and I had a really fast car. Um, and then, you know, after the first couple of races, obviously with the uh, pandemic, everything kind of slowed way down. So, you know, kind of lost a little bit of our rhythm that that we had created uh, the first couple of races and. Um, you know, we, we had good runs, but we also had some runs that we struggled, uh, you know, dropping some cylinders and losing some races at a, a couple of the, the indie races. And um, so right before the U.S. Nationals, we, we went and tested and uh, we tried to fix some of the issues that we had. Um, and we felt very good about it after leaving testing, uh, you know, that, that we felt like we could have a competitive car. Um, now to say to the extent that that we had um i i wouldn't have you know i, I wouldn't have thought it would have been that good 
um, we come out on the first session, and I almost screwed. I almost screwed up the whole uh, Q one. <laughs> I, I actually, um, you know, it's it's such a catch twenty two, right? Because when you're going up there, and I really pride myself, and every time I go up there, I hit the tree the same every time. Whether it's testing, whether it's qualifying, whether it's eliminations, final round of Indy. You know, I really try to. I figure if you hit the tree a hundred percent of the time every time, then you don't ever go up there and not hit the tree. Oh, so yeah. I go up there Q one, and I actually almost double stepped it. Um, if you look at the graph, uh, you could see the RPM comes up about three or four hundred RPM, and then it goes back down, and then I hit the gas. Wow. So got <laughs> got very very lucky there. Very lucky that it didn't uh, ruin that run. Um, and we ended up going 372, dropped a couple cylinders down there. So it was probably going like a, a mid 370 is what we figured. If we can get our, our the cylinder dropping down track figured out, uh, Q2 went out there, smoked tires. You know, we're trying to be a little bit aggressive on it, uh, but it just barely drove them off. So we felt really confident with that. And then um, on that uh, Q1, it actually uh, kicked a couple rods out. So we were a little... Uh, you know, kind of apprehensive going to Saturday, just not wanting to hurt parts. Yeah. And so we actually had the game plan that uh, we were just going to click it off at 660 feet, um, make sure we have everything right down there before we proceeded on for Sunday, um, just, you know, not trying to hurt parts. And uh, so we actually went on um, Q3, I believe it was like a 375 at like 280 or something which that run also was showing a 370, uh, like a 370 run. Um, so, you know, we really felt uh, very, very confident going into Sunday, um, you know, that we got a pretty good handle on the car. And, you know, first round, um, you know, made a good run, 372. Uh, second round, it, it heated up a little bit. And uh, the 372 in the second round, uh, running Corey McClendon was uh, just a, a great run. Yeah, it was. Um, a, a little bit quicker than, than I had expected it to go. Uh, but we needed every bit of it. Corey McClendon was right there with the 373. So, you know, fortunately, uh, Connie and Kurt, you know, they, they made great calls. Um, you know, they, they really gave me a great race car. It's a, such a, a joy working with, with those guys. Um, but, yeah, and then, you know, that kind of led into uh, the semifinals, which was uh, – <laughs> borderline a little bit of the show borderline a little bit of a uh uh i don't know if i can say shit show but <laughs> yes you can yes you can <laughs> if it, you weren't uh, gonna i was <laughs> it, it, it you know and and this is just um credit to the team right so we get put in a situation where uh uh to my knowledge we had a blower lube line uh break and so it, it put some fluid uh on the tires and I, I had obviously I had no idea, you know, normal do your burnout and um, back from the burnout. And I kind of seen a couple of the safety safari guys walking over with mops. And, you know, there's all kinds of things that can happen running a nitro car. So who knows? I mean, it could be fuel coming out of the tank. It could be, I mean, obviously, you know, fluid coming from somewhere. So at that point, you know, I'm just kind of watching Ryan who backs me up from the burnout. I'm kind of, I'm kind of watching his demeanor and I'm kind of like, if he's going to panic, then I'm probably going to start panicking. But if he stays calm, then I'm probably going to stay calm. And fortunately for me, all the panic was going on behind. <laughs> he stayed calm. So it allowed me to stay calm really. And so I just thought, okay, maybe there's something a little goofy going on, but you know, nobody's, 
shut me off or nobody's really panicking that I can see. So I just kind of, you know, at that point, try to use, uh, you know, mentally block that out of your head. And I'm at that point really kind of starting to kind of focus in on getting my foot where I like it on the pedal and, and, uh, you know, kind of start looking at the tree and looking at the, the, the groove and just kind of getting everything, you know, my, my pre-race things figured out. And, um, but yeah, I guess it was just crazy. I mean, they, they had said that Jacob, uh, one of the crew guys ripped his, his crew shirt yes, off and wiping the, wiping the, the tire off crazy. With the crew, right, wiping it off with the crew shirt. And, and, um, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, at that point, I, I, I don't know what's going on, but you know, it's just, you got a good, good group of guys behind you, uh, that, you know, understand the situation, understand what's going on and do everything that they can to give you the best possible chance. Um, and you know, I, I don't have a radio in my car, which in hindsight, you know, kind of wish I would have at that point, um, because it probably would have changed a little bit of, uh, you know, how I would have addressed the run. Um, but you know, the car has been so good all weekend. So the sure. last thing that's, that's going on in my head is this thing's going to blow the tires <laughs> off at the hit. So, you know, and, and at that point, you know, I, I got enough on my hands running Justin Ashley. The kid's an absolute monster on the tree. And, you know, I've been I've been where I feel pretty confident. Um, I've been kind of high 50s, low 60s on the tree. First round, I was 53. Second round, I missed it a little bit. Went 69. So I'm thinking, this guy's 30s and 40s. i got to figure out a way to at least be a 40. And hopefully, you know, I can have just a little bit better of a car. And it's going to be close. You know, Justin and uh, Ashley and Aaron Brooks have been doing a great job. They, you know, just finished the completed indie event, you know, in qualifying and won that. And so, it, you know, it's it, I'm just trying to concentrate on on uh, just keeping close to Josh. If I can keep close to him, we'll have a chance. And so, uh, you know, I actually went and, and uh, kind of did a little bit of a, a fast stage, you know, to, to my liking just to get in there. And uh, I felt like I hit the tree good, but it kind of had a little bit of a sense that when I hit the gas, I thought I saw his side of the tree drop, uh, his pre-stage stage bulb drop out before mine. I'm thinking, dang. And then it blows the tires off. <laughs> I see his shoot out because mine blew him off the hit. His smoked him, I don't know, maybe 40 to 60 feet or something around that, that area. So I see his car out there. Then he gets in trouble. Well, at that point, I'm just trying to let my car calm down. Yeah. And so then I kind of go to hit the gas when I felt like it was a good time. And I just, you know, trying to be a little easy on the pedal. And uh, it felt like it just moved me hard left. Well, looking at the video, it, it dropped a cylinder on the left side and it moved me over. Well, then it goes back up and smoke again. I'm, you know, I, I, a little bit out of the groove now and uh, goes up and smoke again. Well, then I kind of see him right there next to me. And then he goes back up and smoke again. So then it's like, okay, get back in the gas. And then it just goes up and smoke again. And, you know, I'm still a little out of the groove. I'm trying to get a hand off the wheel to grab the handbrake uh, to help slow the wheel speed down. But first and foremost, when you pedal a car, you can't hit the gas when the car is sideways. It better be going way. straight. Yeah, we've seen the you results to, of that. Yeah. Correct. So you have to make sure you're squared up. So. I'm in a little bit of a pickle now because I'm trying to get my hand over to grab the brake to slow wheel speed down, but I'm also trying to make sure that the car is squared up and the car is getting pretty squirrely at this point. 
So I'm just trying to kind of feather the, the gas and then it goes back up in smoke again. And every time I lift, I can hear him pedal the car. So, and I, I can hear him right there next to me. So, man, it just, it, it was absolutely crazy. I think I pedaled it five or six times, him about the same as well. Some way, somehow, I ended up getting there first. I don't know how, but uh, that was <laughs> that was one of the, the craziest races I've ever been a part of. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't exactly say uh, I did a good job in that by any means because, you know, a good job would have been to get the car to quickly recover and, and get down to the finish line a lot faster than my 690 run. Um but, uh, but it worked, uh, fortunately, and gave us a chance for the final. Yeah, and then you come back in the final and you go 15, you know, and that was that was a great, um, you know, that was the great finishing move on the whole thing. You know, to, to be a number one qualifier, carry that through the weekend, to win your way to the final like you did, and then to go 15 and just win it in, in almost uncontested fashion was unreal. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think, you know, for the final, um, you know, with the situation of, so much on the line with running who I was running with being the final round of Indy. Um, I mean, I have adrenaline pouring out of my ears and, and mouth after that semifinal run. And, you know, I just was jacked up. And so, you know, kind of, you know, my little bit of a game plan the last time, the last couple times I kind of run, I, I'd run her. Um, I had, we'd had really long trees and cause I, I got really long flickers were flicking on and off on the stage bulb. Um, so I tried to kind of change up my game plan a little bit against her to kind of throw her off what I felt, um, and just kind of get in, get in quick and stage right with her, uh, based off of her typical routines. So, um, uh, my, my game plan was, is, is to just kind of slide it in there quick to stage with her, um, just to kind of throw her off to where, you know, if she's going to be waiting for a flicker, not to have it flicker. And, um, so I was probably in about, I would say maybe eight to 10 thou, um, in the final round of, of how I staged the car. Um, so, you know, I go for Oh 15. So dead shallow probably would have been Oh 25. Still, still, still a ridiculous. Of, yeah. Still well, ridiculous. And that's kind of a little bit, you know, where you got a little bit of luck on your side because I couldn't go back up there and do that again and go 025. You know, typically my shallow stage is like an 050. So you get that two and a half hundredths there. It's a little bit of adrenaline. It's a little bit of the indie final. It's a little bit of who you're racing. It's a little bit of you catch the tree just absolutely perfect. Um, and everything kind of, you know, just played right into the, the game plan and situation that we had. Um, but, you know, when, when I hit the gas in the final and I saw my bulbs go out oh, quite a bit before hers, I just, I kind of had that just kind of, ooh, that was good. And and I was, I remember thinking about 100, 200 feet was just do not smoke the tires, do not smoke the tires. Because I knew at that point there was such an advantage on the tree that, I mean, she, you know, with us running kind of low 370s, you know, in 372, 373 range, and I knew that they were trying to, you know, step it up just a little bit for the final. That you know, she probably would have had to go like a mid 360 to get around us. And yeah. I don't, I don't know that the track would no, have held that. It wasn't so, there. That was definitely not there on Sunday. Yeah. So, so yeah, so it all, it all worked out, man. It was just a a, a great race. I mean, a, a perfect weekend. Um, you know, just just so happy. Uh, 
to, to get a win with, with the guys, just, you know, all the stuff they've been through this year and how hard they've worked and, and the ups and the downs and working with Kurt, Kurt's doing such a good job behind, uh, you know, making a lot of calls and working with Connie, um, of, of getting the car right. We've worked on so many different things of, of helping reaction times and, and making the car more comfortable for me. And, um, and then, you know, my, my one biggest regret that I had <clears throat> when I, uh, made the switch over to Coletta Motorsports in 2017 and racing Connie's car in 2017 before making the switch to Funny Car in 18. Well, we'd had a couple runner-ups, a couple semis, but I'd never won with Connie. Yeah. And that was that was kind of my one little hang-up of making the move over to Funny Car when I was making the decision <clears throat> to do it. I was like, man, I really wanted to win with Connie as a crew chief. Uh, just how much I look up to Connie and how much I respect him and, and uh, what he's done for the sport. I just, it really meant a lot to me to have my name alongside his as uh, a winner of any event. And so to get that, to get that in Indy um, and then to get that win and then to come back to the pit and to see a smile on his face. Uh, I mean, that, that meant more to me than any trophy or any check. Yeah, I mean, there are some still photographs that um, I know you would share in your social media. I'd seen him pop up elsewhere kind of when you were coming back into the pit area and he was there waiting for you. And, you know, there is no more genuine joy on that guy's face than than what we see in those photos. I mean, it is – I remember seeing it when Doug won last year and seeing it uh, on his face when you won this year. You know, it's, it's, it's so interesting to me and so cool to me that that race really does mean so much to him. And um, to have, like you said, I mean, it's it's a storybook thing, uh, and it's just it's an amazing. What was the first thing you said when you when you rolled back in? Oh man, I don't, I don't, I wish I had a good story on that. I don't, <laughs> I don't even know. It was such a whirlwind of all yeah. the stuff. I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know what we talked about. I know we, we were we were talking and we were uh, you know kind of talking about the the car and the race and 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 the win and all that and and. Uh, you know, I just, re- I just remember, it was just a smile for me. Yeah. I don't, I don't even remember Happiness. what was said. I don't yeah. even remember what I said or what he said, but it was just, it was just the feeling of a little bit of like satisfaction, a little bit of pride, a little bit of, of all of those things of when I just saw the smile on his face and, and he, and he told me good job. That yeah. to me was Priceless, like, man. Priceless. that was yeah. it. Yeah. And you know, just throughout the weekend, you know, I, you know, Connie, Connie's is really good about like, you know, if you kind of go to him and ask questions and, and, you know, he'll give you advice about things that he's experienced in the car. Um, you know, he'll give you, uh, advice about things that Scott used to do in the car. He always talks about how Scott, how good he was pedaling a race car and, and the feels that he had inside of the race car. So there's a lot of things that he talks to me about that. And, um, but you know, I, like I remember coming back from Q1 and, and, you know, a, a big thing as, as a, as a paid driver getting hired to drive a car is you do not two-step a car. Yeah. And that is just the absolute biggest no, no, but it's hard because oh, sure. you, know, you can go up there, you can go up there every hit and I can go 70 to 75 on the tree and, and never make a mistake for the rest of my career. But if you're going to push it and you're going to get it to where you're going, Oh, fifties, Oh, sixties, you know, you're going to have that little bit of, you know, same sense of, of tuning a race car. You can go 380 every single time, but if you want to go a 370, you're going to smoke the tires every once in a while. So, you know, I had to kind of walk in there Friday night with 
kind of my tail between my legs a little bit and uh you know apologize to connie and i said man i really hope i didn't mess anything up on the run and and you know he kind of asked you know what what happened and you know i like i told myself i don't really have an excuse it was just a mistake on my part and um you know he said you know here's some suggestions should we change some things in the car and i said nope connie car is absolutely perfect i said I said, it was completely my fault. I said, don't change anything in the car. I said, I'll get better. And he said, so you're telling me it was 100% driver error? Now, that's <laughs> at the point in your career is, do you answer this honestly? <laughs> yeah. And just completely take the heat? Or do you try to find excuses to kind of cover and pad your ass a little bit? Um, but the right thing to do is I, I looked at him and I said, nope, Connie, 100% driver error. And he kind of nodded his head and he said, I respect that. And he said, we'll be better next time. I'm not worried about it. So at that awesome. point, it's just all the weight lifts off your shoulders and you just kind of feel like, okay, don't have to worry about that now, you know? And, and then after the semis, obviously we sat down a little bit and, and looked at the run and, and he, we kind of talked about, you know, how it smoked and, and the, he saw the things I was doing inside the car and, you know, here's some things that are good. Here's some things that you can improve on. So it's just, man, it's just working with him and, 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 you know, Kurt as well, Kurt, Kurt and I go over every single run. So it's just a, it's really, really a good fit. It's, it's awesome working with those guys that, you know, I feel like there's such good communication where we can really talk about anything and you don't really have to hide anything. You don't have to, you know, kind of, you know, fudge things or, or, or not really tell the truth because you can just be open and honest and, you know, and, and they're going to give you honest feedback. No, that's great. Two quick things before I let you go. The first is um, your interview before the semifinal with Jamie Howe I thought was great. It, it, it was a really, to me, it was like an old school kind of diamond P throwback moment. You're in the pits mixing up some fuel or whatever, and she's asking you about the, the upcoming matchup. And, you know, you had this great line where you're like, you know, I'm going to go into my, I'm going to go and do what I got to do. And I think I got, you know, I think I got something that I can, that I can throw at him and, and match him on the starting line. And it, for me, it was fantastic because too often, um, too often, I think, and I'm not faulting it. Well, I guess I am faulting people. Too often, we just hear, I'm going to race the racetrack, and I don't care who's in the other lane. Well, it's bullshit. Like, you got to care who's in the other lane, especially if it's that guy. And so, you acknowledging the fact that you knew who you were going to race, and you knew you were going to do something to, 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 to better your chances or to, to attack this in a way you could was really cool to me. And, and it set the stage for what ended up being a crazy side by side. And then the second thing is, um, I feel like when you and Antron Brown, kind of about the same time, were you know coming into Top Fuel, I really feel like you were the guys that rewrote the book or rewrote the importance level of being good on the starting line in a Top Fuel dragster. I don't think that it had anywhere near the importance of uh, before you guys and then after you guys, the whole entire game changed. And I'm not saying Justin Ashley is single-handedly changing anything, but what I am saying is that he has definitely brought with him, in my estimation, um, uh, someone to chase. And I'm not saying we haven't had anyone to chase, but when there's a guy like this that is that is overtly trying to stand out, he makes guys like you, he makes guys like Antron, he makes guys like Doug Coletta show us how good you are to match what he's been up to. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's really um, 100% accurate what you're saying. Um, you know, I, I really kind of felt like when I came in in 2009, um, and, you know, there was there was kind of some of the younger generation drivers 
that were coming through at that time, um, you know, guys like Antron Brown, uh, guys like Morgan Lucas, guys like, uh, you know, Dave Connolly, um, that, that come in for a little bit. Um, you know, there, there's a period of time where, you know, I feel like we kind of were setting the bar for the, the drivers that, that had been out there and, it, they were trying to kind of play catch up with us a little bit on, you know, not only being quick on the tree, but the consistency of being quick on the tree all the time. And so you really kind of start to, you set that bar, but then you see, you know, you see a lot of the drivers like, you know, Doug Coletta and you see um, Tony Schumacher. Now, now they start really catching up to you and they've been doing it a lot longer. So, you know, they, they are now, catching up to you and they got you know 20 years experience on you or you know 10 15 years experience on you so you know they're they're at the point now where you know you got to try to find a way to raise the bar even more so it was always kind of i felt to me it was like a, a little bit of a cat and mouse game where you just kind of had to keep going because is if you just stay you know complacent with where you're at you're going to get passed up and next thing you know you're going to be sitting there going 75 80 on the tree and you're going to be getting your doors blown or well not doors but wings <laughs> yeah. blown off by these guys because you know it's it's pretty regular that a lot of people are going in dead shallow going 050s on the tree and that's kind of been how it you know how it has been for the last uh you know five six seven years and then you know, so so now you get this kid Justin Ashley that comes in where it's kind of the the standard. You look at a lot of like the year end average reaction times. Typically, the Absolutely. leader is is in the range of you know fifty three to fifty seven yep. uh, around that area for probably the last you know ten twelve years. Um, you know, and and you to get top five, you probably need to be uh, you know a sixty one or a sixty two average by the end of the year. So you, you take that over the course of over 100 runs, and then you got this kid, uh, Justin Ashley, that comes in, and he's ripping off these 30s and 40s, and you're, you just sit here and scratch your head, and you're just like, I mean, how do you physically pick up your reaction times without cheating and going in deep? How do you physically pick up your reaction times 10 to 15 thousandths of a second? I mean, it's, it's physically, you can maybe do it once out of every 15 hits, but how do you do it 15 out of 15 hits? That's, that's the key. So it really kind of puts you back to the drawing board of, okay, what does it take for me to go to the next level? Is it something in the car? Is it something we need to address in the car? Is it something, you know, in, in the fuel? Is it something in the, the clutch? Is it something in the power of the motor? Um, but then you also look at yourself. Okay, where am I at? You know, what's my trends? Have I been getting better? Have I been getting slower? What are things that I can improve on? Is it, you know, you see a lot of drivers really going and, and doing a lot of workouts. You see a lot of drivers, you know, eating certain things now. You see a lot of drivers, um, you know, just with being physically fit. Um, so I think it, it just kind of depends on the certain person. And I think at the end of the day, it's whatever you may do. Um, for me, in my head, I think what makes me a little more competitive is going out and doing a lot of the bracket racing. Absolutely. Um, but but I think it's more, you know, do I think that the, the bracket racing is exactly why, you know, I'm, I'm able to do, you know, be able to, to, to be pretty good on the tree? Not necessarily, but 
do I think it has something of positive influence to where I can mentally tell myself that I can be better? Yep. And it's the same thing I think for a lot of the guys that go and do physical training or that eat certain foods or, you know, that do certain things or certain rituals before runs or, you know, whatever it may be. It's just positive influences that create positive results. Um, so, you know, but that's kind of getting back to, you know, what the Justin Ashley thing is, I think, um, you know, it's, it's really kind of put uh, a lot of people in situations of with how competitive the cars are and how close the cars are, you cannot give up 200s on the starting line in, in this day and age. And so it's really kind of put a lot of uh, drivers and crew chiefs to test of um, setting that bar, not just a little bit higher, but a lot higher and uh, trying to, to figure out things with how do you make the driver better and how do you make the car better. Um and I think it's awesome, man. Uh, I'm, I like it because it's, uh, I've always been a guy. I like a challenge and I like to challenge myself and, and I like to, um, challenge myself on how to get better. And, uh, he's at the point now where, you know, he, he's put me in that position where I really got to, I got to think about it now, you know, and I got to figure out ways to be better. Well, it's cool, man. You were the best last Sunday, two-time winner of the NHRA U.S. National, Sean Langdon. Thanks for taking some time out of your day, and uh, go back to the wrenches, man. Get that car ready for Pritchett. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. See you, Sean. Joined here by my second guest on the NHRA Insider Podcast. She won the Pro Stock category at the 66th running of the NHRA Denso U.S. National. She is double E, Erica Anders. How you doing, Erica? Good. How are you, Brian? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It was uh, a very entertaining Sunday, especially uh, from where you were sitting. And we got a bunch of stuff to talk about here, but um, like so much stuff happened that was like erasing the bad memories of last year in one day. It was crazy. It was definitely nuts. Um, not exactly the the plan, but the end result was what we had hoped for. So I'm uh, I'm very excited that we were able to get it done. Yeah, and I think you know. The entire day was pretty crazy in terms of the whole class. I mean, we look at Jaggy going out in the first round, which we never see, you know, and I know he was trying to hit the tree hard. He was he was six red, and it was like that almost set the tone a little bit for some of the other crazy stuff we'd see throughout the day. Um, did he run? I can't remember if he ran before you or behind you in the first round. He was in front of me, which I'm not blaming him, but had something to do with my uh, tardy reaction time first round because him and I <laughs> – we race very similar and we set up the same a lot of times and you know we're usually within a couple thousandths of each other on clutch linkage setup and you know that morning I there are nerves at Indy that there are at like zero other races for some reason it's just um it's just a different feeling and I think a lot of people would tell you that but we went up there you know it was a little cloudier the day before with the two qualifying sessions it was full sun so a little cloudier i heard a leave rpm adjustment and then i knew what aaron stanfield did he crept up on the pedal and that's why he went red he just kind of let the clutch pedal come back before he released it and that allowed the car to move and that's why he was so red so i kind of i threw that out the window but then watching jeg go up there and and uh, he and i talked afterwards and he's like man if i would have had your channel on my radio i would have told you you know don't worry about it but i went I didn't even want to look at the Christmas tree. Like I'm not, I'm not even looking in the direction of it. Just like let go when you see something flash, you know. I mean, I'm kind of being silly, but at the same time, like for me, getting 
and murdering it like I did in the finals to just kind of glancing at it. There's a hundredth and a half, two hundredths difference, and then and then there's mind screwing yourself yeah. and doing what I did first round. So it's kind of kind of a weird balance, but that was absolutely what happened first round. It's like seeing Jed go red is, is so uncharacteristic, and and knowing how he set up, I just kind of. I just kind of flubbed it, but um, and, and what's you know, interesting, I, like in that scenario in the first round, you did still leave first. Uh, you did leave ahead of Kenny, and I'm wondering if you know, does your natural instinct just tell you at that moment that okay, that wasn't great, or the fact that you left ahead of the guy? Like, I'm I'm wondering, I guess, are you keyed in enough on your physicality with the tree versus the other car to understand kind of where you are time wise there, or no? Yes, um, I knew I was late, and I knew that by my mindset going up there, I could have told you I was going to be late before I let go, but I knew when I let go uh, just how late I was, and, um, you know, Kenny's been making some really great runs lately, and and to be honest with you, I was pretty nervous, and I I don't ever check up on the other lane until I put the car in high gear, just because it's so crucial to hit your shift points and any distraction can cause you to drift away from that. So I put it in high gear and I checked up and at that point I knew that we were going to be okay, but I, I was definitely freaking out until I put it in high gear. (laughs) Yeah. And then, uh, you know, second round, you come back, you're 23, which is kind of where we, you know, where we expect you to be. And was that, did you make any physical changes linkage wise there, or was it just simply like having the, having the kind of slate cleared? No, so I just cleared the slate. I knew what I did first round. It had nothing to do with my clutch link. It, it was all mental. So going up there, I, I left my setup the same. Um, you know, in the last two runs in qualifying, I was 16-16. So I always try to be around 20 in qualifying, and then I make an adjustment to where, you know, hopefully I can be around 10. I never want to be better than 10, um, just in case Just there's that margin of error on either side i you know if you miss it quicker you still have a hundredth before you're red and vice versa you could could be 20 at the worst so i didn't change my setup um when i let go i felt i felt clean i felt good but i didn't feel like i crushed it so i kind of you know i I really have a feeling um for all of that so i you know adjust everything accordingly and my rule is to always trust the math never allow outside distractions or mess ups to change what I'm doing with the mechanics of the car. So that's kind of my golden rule. And, and that's why we were able to be as good as we were in the finals. Yeah, it makes total sense. And then, you know, to me, obviously the, the, the most telling run of the entire race for you was, was the semifinal <laughs> because like it never happens this way. You never have a race a year ago where you're on the wrong side of a bizarre situation only to have it presented again around earlier than last year and then you come out on the right side of it like it's the ultimate like exercising the demons <laughs> moment right it's like this happened to somebody else and i and i got away with it um and i don't mean you got away with it but but in reality you're going down the racetrack and i'm thinking oh looking out the window and all of a sudden i see mason's car start to emit some smoke and then you go cruising by it was it was nuts yeah that was definitely my lucky round and i'm thankful for it you know I flickered the bottom bulb, and I know that there's a long tree, so just that thought, I, you know, you think you screw up. That's that's also my rule. So, um, you know, that's why I was saying I had an interesting day. It wasn't exactly how I planned. I, I drove the car excellent. I left really sorry. Like, I did not have a good leave day, and I'm just glad that I was able to gather it up for the finals because we, we did get by in the semis, um, 
you know, he's he's standard 40, 50, 60, that 001 on a long tree. It might have, I mean, just been a let go, whatever it is. It was a 001, and he was he was winning that round had he not blown up. So I'm uh, I'm glad that it fell on our side that time. But that's how that's how racing goes, man. I, I go back to the beginning of my career, and I think how many things were challenging and and how low those valleys were but once you get to the peaks like the pendulum always swings in the other direction you just gotta you just gotta be around long enough for it to do that like it will come back it has its peaks and valleys and i talk about that a lot but it you just gotta persevere and and stick around and it will it will ultimately swing back in your direction but you gotta be there for that two final rounds in a row at the u.s nationals you're like one of the few people on earth that can actually you know, physically appreciate this because you're doing it in the seat. But you think about Bob Glidden going 13 years in a row to the final round of that race. I mean, two years in a row seems incredible to me. 13 years in a row has to seem like an ultra marathon to somebody who's actually driving the race car. For sure. It's Indy is so important and um, so prestigious. And to be able to final rounds are hard to period I don't care where they're at so you all like my guys and I talk about that all the time like it's hard to get here we got to execute the best that we can and leave nothing on the table you know and and uh man but to be to be there for for that two years in a row is pretty excellent and being able to to beat my teammate Drew Skillman at the time in 2015 and I think it was in the finals in 13 and you know so we've had a a decent showing at Indy the past five or eight years, and and I'm certainly thankful for that. I mean, you happen to be at this moment um, the points leader in Pro Stock by seven points, and obviously we're looking at uh, obviously we're looking at you know five races on the schedule to to get this thing wrapped up this year. So um, seven points is not even half a round, but. Uh, with five races left, things can change quickly, as Jake found out, right? You lose in the first round, and all of a sudden, you got a whole bunch more company uh, kind of chomping at your heels. So I guess talk a little bit about that. I mean, is is the points counting in full effect at this point? There is no countdown. Do you pay that close attention to it, or is it the old, the old standard of, oh, we just try to win rounds and let it fall where they may? Well, I'd be lying if I told you we didn't count points. I mean, I, I don't know exactly at the time, but I knew coming in that, we were roughly like 77, I think, or 80 points behind Jeg, which is a pretty big gap. Like when when rounds are only worth 20 points apiece and you only have so many left. So that was going to be a giant gap to close with, especially with how Jeg's car has been running and how he's been driving. So, um, you know, I knew when, <clears throat> excuse me, I knew when he went red that um, we needed to capitalize on that. Yes, he's my teammate. And if I can't win, I want him to win. But at the same time, I'm <laughs> I'm hired by Melling and Elite to go out there and win as much as I can. So I, I closed the gap. It's really neat that we're back on top. Um, you know, obviously our goal would be to never re- relinquish that. But um, you know, there's I, I think five races left if everything goes uh, to plan, and we'll just have to make every round count. It's going to be tough. I mean, look at how well Greg and Jason are running and. I mean, it's always elite versus KB, and yep. it was just so weird at this race that after the first round, I was the lone elite car standing. And, Crazy, um, yeah. 
just really crazy. So they're like, all right, come on, E, you got to carry the banner for us. I'm like, yeah, no pressure. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We got this. And, and we were we were fortunate enough to end up on top. So it was um, just a really great weekend. To, uh, to your point on that, I mean, um, I know that every one of those teams operates kind of, I don't want to say autonomously, but they do. You know, you, you have your own crew chiefs, you have your own guys that, that work on that car. When it comes down to a, a point where there is simply one car left, um, not that you need the extra help, but how much extra help is there? Or does everybody just kind of mind their business and let you and your team concentrate on exactly what you're doing? So this weekend... Um, it's the first time in a long time that I can remember that all of the other teams were eliminated first round. And I want to tell the story of how everybody worked together. Like I had, um, Kelly and Steven from Jig's car helping, um, Dave Howard Hollywood, who also has driven nice. pro stock in the past. I mean, he's been gracious enough to come help on our car cause we've been a man down on our milling team since we have a six car operation right now with 38 daggum people it is a it is a madhouse but to have like dave howard come and help on my car has been awesome he's a huge asset but the guys from jake's team um then the guys from aaron's team and the guys from i mean everybody just jumped in where we needed them and when we needed them and then mark ingersoll and rick jones are my crew chiefs and Ricky Jones switched shirts and jumped on board and helped us like wholeheartedly. So it was, it's just like this really cool team atmosphere and it sounds really stupid and cliche, but these guys are, are just awesome. Like we, we all wear different uniforms, but we're all, but we're all one. And I'm really like really super thankful for their help on, on everything on Sunday. And before the final round, like Ricky is so Ricky Jones, little Ricky, he is so methodical and like he sat there and helped me crunch numbers just to make sure my clutch pedal was set up properly. And, you know, we came up with the best that I could be if I, if I did everything right was seven and the worst that I was going to be was 12 and, and we were right there in the wow. middle. Yeah, right nine. There nine. I did yeah. my job, but he, he helped me with the math and, and we executed the best that we can. So everybody, everybody jumped on board and Rick Jones, man, he, I, I know that our mics were keyed up this weekend and he is just my hero, man. He's my guy. He, he knows when I struggle and he says all the right things and he pumps me up. So it was just like the ultimate, like, group win you know oh absolutely yeah and it's great uh, it's great that it is a, a full like legitimately full team effort in that uh in that respect one of the other things i think that was great about last weekend was the crowd uh, obviously we were limited to 50 percent capacity but we basically got there saturday and sunday and it just there is an energy i don't know it's weird like even with me up in the booth looking out the window like it's it, there is an energy that comes off of having people around and uh even with you know masks and distancing and all the other stuff we got to do it was still great to see people like filling the place it really was and it was cool there was a huge difference in the in the people in the grandstands this weekend at the u.s nationals as it has been at the other indie races so that kind of made it even more feel like normal and you know towing back from the top end after every run it's not every track that the pro stock cars get to tow in front of the stands and to hear their response for our wins and they were on their feet and clapping and cheering and it was it was so cool I mean I like I just try to soak it all up because I know I know that one day it's going to end but I I enjoy it so much right now and then after we won the race, um, my sister and I drove it back and, um, they were on their feet and it was just, 
it was such a cool experience. That's great. And I guess uh, one last question I'll leave you with here. Obviously, we go to Gainesville uh, not on time. We're only about, what, eight months late going to Gainesville this year. (laughs) Um, Gator Nationals has traditionally been, I think, a pretty good race for you. So talk to me a little bit about Gainesville. So Gainesville is cool. It is pretty historic. Um, I've runnered up a handful of times, but I have never won that event. So it's definitely on my bucket list. I know there will be 15 other guys uh, that want that that same Wally that we do. So we will we will have our work cut out for us. But, um, you know, we tested in Tulsa before we headed to the U.S. Nationals. And I feel like we learned a lot, yes, on our car and the things that we changed. But most importantly, like, we got our confidence back and we got our trust back in our equipment. Like, you know, my crew chiefs were kind of like not – loving what was going on and then myself in the in the cockpit not being as confident as I usually am I I feel like we got something back at that Tulsa test um it translated to Indy and I believe we're going to try to test before Gainesville as well um you know we'll see what happens but that's our, our tentative plan right now and we'll go out there and we'll do the very best we can but the Gator Nationals are awesome I think it'll be you know a great time of the year to be in Florida uh usually like you said we're we're there in March and there have been times where it's been warm like spring break weather and there have been times I have had to <laughs> scrape ice off my windshield with a credit card so I mean we've seen all different kinds of weather patterns there and that track is um you know, it's, it's a good track and I think my crew chiefs have a good handle on it. So I'm excited to go back. It will definitely be different, uh, heading there in the fall rather than early, early spring, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Expecting a uh, good crowd down there as well. Tons of folks, um, you know, have their you know, yearly tickets that they have and just, uh, the, the buzz around people talking already on the internet about them being there is going to be good. So I hope we had that same type of uh, U S nationals feel with a good crowd so good luck to you as we get ready to prepare for Gainesville in a couple of weeks. It's basically a three-horse race in pro stock. It's you, Jaggy, and Jason separated by 11 points, and then we go all the way 160-some points back after that. So going to be fun three-way battle to watch chase out the rest of the year. Erica, be well, and I will see you in a couple of weeks in Gainesville, Florida. Sounds great. Thanks, Brian. You bet. And so that is going to do it for this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Great conversations with Sean Langdon. Great conversation with Erica Andrews as well. And always cool to get the insight into how these racers kind of put their days together. I felt like it was a good idea to have Sean and Erica on today because they're two of the more cerebral racers that we have at NHRA Championship Drag Racing. They have a very high-level understanding of not only their equipment, but also themselves. And that comes from years of sportsman competition and years of even junior dragster racing. They've developed instincts that are very fast to listen to them describe how they use those instincts so we'll be back next week with another episode toying around with a couple different topics maybe we'll have more event winners or maybe we'll take you inside what it was the longest network television production in the history of the national hot rod association both will be great stories you'll hear one of them next week here on the nhra insider podcast i'm brian loans thanks for listening